Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. Joining me today is the beloved and beneficent Barry Habib, CEO of the award-winning MBS Highway. Also joining Barry is his son, Dan. Uh, how are you guys doing today? We are doing great. Yes, we are. We're doing great, and uh, we are excited to be with you guys. I'm going to have to ask you, Dan, a bunch of questions about working with your dad and how that works, but uh, let me get through <laughs> the rest of the, the script here. <laughs> so if you'd like to learn more about Barry or Dan, you can visit their website at highway.ai, or you can check out the podcast on the highway. Make sure we have links for all that in the episode description. You can also follow Barry Habib on Instagram at imbarryhabib. Dan, Dan's got an Instagram, too. Oh, yeah, Dan. What's your Instagram? It's the Dan Habib, and we both have a lot of really great uh, reels that we create that you can share and just kind of take to, if you're in the mortgage or real estate business, to really show people why they should be buying a home now, the opportunity, you know, negate some of the negativity in the media and such. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> trying to distance yourself from the news sometimes is, uh, sometimes can be difficult. Um, let's see. Last thing I want to say here before we dive into today's conversation is if you'd like to reach out with any suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests, you can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We'll have all those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your own convenience. Without any further ado, let's, uh, let's dive in today. So Dan, what is it like working with your dad? I have to know this right off the bat. Well, it's actually uh, really been quite amazing. So, you know, growing up, uh, my father and and still is to this day, but was always you know my hero, and uh, we've always been really close. And you know, he's he's like my father, but also kind of like my best friend. Mm -hmm. But he's also been a uh, you know an unbelievable mentor. I mean, you know, pretty lucky guy to have somebody like Barry as your father, one of the probably most respected and smartest guys that you'll ever meet in 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 anything, but especially in mortgage and real estate. So. You know, to have his kind of guidance and, you know, teaching me along the way, you know, kind of correcting me back on path when, <laughs> when I was going off path, which, you know, when I was younger, I would do quite often. Um, but, uh, you know, teaching me hard work and, and really having a really good level of understanding of, of the markets and this business, it's been invaluable. And listen, I'll be the first to tell you, it wasn't always easy. Oh, you know, I was working, say. <laughs> <laughs> working with family can be tough. And, 
you know, my father, he has some principles where it's like, you know, he expects the same level that he expects of himself, which is, which is, you know, greatness, perfection almost. Right. And, you know, if, if, especially somebody being his son, you know, if I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to do, what does that say for the rest of the company? And, you know, it's, he's always been tough on me, but I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Um, because I feel that it's got me to where I am today. It's definitely a harder path. I feel like, especially when your father is so well recognized in this space, uh, because it does put a big spotlight on you and being able to succeed with that pressure is, it's really impressive. I take my hat off to that. Well, thank you, (laughs) Barry. Let's, uh, how about you, Matt? How's it uh, working with your son? So Dan really has, has grown into someone who's extraordinarily well-known in the industry and uh, he's made, he's made his own mark. Dan mm-hmm. puts out a lot of his own content. And you know, I think a lot of people even relate to Dan in a different way. Uh, and he has a, an, an incredible gift for explaining things to uh, to people on the daily update the way he does or when he's doing presentations. So, so Dan's definitely someone who's, who's, who's done this on his own and done a lot of hard work on his own. And, you know, as, uh, as one of the proudest things I could say is, is I learn a lot from Dan. So, you know, he points out a lot of things to me. So it's been great. You know, um, Dan's two younger brothers, Jake and Jared also, uh, work here at MBS highway. We have a little over a hundred employees, but, uh, mm-hmm. they make an important difference as well. Uh, Jake works on the daily update as does Jared every day. Jake's on camera too with Dan. Um, Dan's twin sister, Nicole is a loan originator. She used to work with us back in the day, but she has a family now too, because that just kind of works well for her to be able to do her own thing. But, uh, yeah, the family is definitely very closely connected to the mortgage, uh, and real estate arena, uh, which I think is, is, is important because it, it gives us, uh, it gives us a good, a good connection. Uh, that's not just superficial. You know, we mm-hmm. we 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 can go deep on uh, on being able to to work together, see each other more often, and uh, and have a lot of things in common that we can we can discuss in depth. Right, right. Um, and speaking of those um, daily updates, uh, a few times when I visited Sue, she showed me you know some of the some of the stuff that you guys do on there, and I got to say I was really impressed to see that you applied technical analysis to the. Uh, interest rates, the mortgage rates. I'm curious, like, where did you learn technical analysis and why did you decide to apply it to um, the the mortgage industry rather than like something more traditional like the stock market? So any security um, can be can be looked upon with technical analysis. And uh, when you want to try and find out which direction mortgage rates are heading, technical analysis can give you lots of valuable clues. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the thing about technical analysis, when you look at a chart, what the chart tries to do is take emotion and quantify it. Mm-hmm. Markets are driven oftentimes by emotion, but you can't see emotion in the way that people are trading a stock. But if you chart its behavior, you could follow the emotion of it. And then when enough people are looking at that technical analysis and charting it the way you have in stocks and bonds and mortgages or bond, you then have that self-fulfilling prophecy where- right the ceilings and the floors are something that the market's going to respond to and react to because everyone's looking at that same thing or all of the traders are looking at the same thing. So it's going to respond to it. I think that it's very important to utilize technical analysis and to answer your question, you know, where did I learn it? Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Jack Grummet who a long time ago when I was younger, 
he was the first to show it to me. And once I kind of looked at it, I was like, oh my God, this is like, <laughs> right? this is, wow, this is almost as, almost as good as having tomorrow's newspaper. And it was really a revelation for me. And I decided to go further and, and, and learn more about it. And that was more Western technical signals. And then as, as luck would have it, the gentleman, Steve Nissen, who brought Eastern technical signals or Japanese candlesticks to the United States, mm-hmm. wound up being someone who lived very close to me. I was a young, young man. He took a liking to me, wanted to kind of help and teach me. As, as, as you see, oftentimes, you know, if you're young and you're, and you're really nice about things and you really show that, that you have a desire to want to learn, uh, people will help you. And yeah. uh, Steve did help me out quite a bit. And it made me very proficient in both Eastern and Western technical signals. And uh, now Dan and, and Jake are, are very proficient in technical analysis. They understand it extremely well. And they apply it towards their own personal investments, obviously towards mortgage-backed securities. Um, it's important. In our CMA course, we, we teach a lot of the basics mm-hmm. of technical analysis because it's something everyone should know before you make an investment. And if I could just add to that, oh, right? Yeah, please, please do. You know, um, our approach, right, is one that's multifaceted. You know, there's some people out there, you know, let's say traders, for instance. Some of them are purely technical traders. Some of them are fundamental traders, right? Some of them like to really focus on the macro and how that impacts securities. You know, we really take a look at everything. So while in our updates, we certainly do talk about technical analysis, we're always looking for a confluence of signals and factors. So we're also looking at the economic data, what the expectations are for things like the jobs report tomorrow or inflation readings, um, you know, as well as taking a look at the technical analysis. It's interesting that you, uh, you mentioned the like people are usually fall into one of two buckets. Like they either trade on fundamentals or they trade on technicals. And most people don't like to combine the two. And I never understood that thought process because it seems like the more, like you said, the more confluence you can build behind an idea or a thesis, the more strength it should have. Yeah, I, I agree. Right. Why, why pigeon your hole to, to one kind of set of, of, you know, insights, right. When you can really <laughs> right. try to get a well-rounded approach and see if you can see some, some confluences. Fundamentals are going to are going to be more important, and news is going to override. But technical analysis will give you guidelines, and you're not always going to get a signal from technical analysis on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I think what we want to try and learn from technical analysis are where are the important points of inflection. Right. Is this a good period? Is this a good time to be a purchaser? Is this a better time to be a seller? Uh, should I wait here for what might be a better buying opportunity or um, am I going to exit this trade too quickly and leave some profits on the table? So technical analysis is going to help you with those. I think the fundamental approach is going to give you a overall decision of whether or not I want to be invested in this particular security or not. Right. Oh, that That's what, very well said. Yeah. Use the fundamentals to gauge the health of the company. And then the technicals kind of show you the sentiment almost, right? Entry and exit points for yeah. sure. Uh, so how do you apply this then to what you do with MBS? Well, that's, that's easy, um, Kyle. So when someone's a mortgage professional or if mm-hmm. someone is interested in purchasing a home, uh, whether they be the realtor advising that individual, the person actually buying the home, the mortgage professional, if, if they're going to be obtaining a mortgage, which happens most of the time, then they're going to apply for a mortgage and they have to determine when they want to lock their interest rate in prior to closing. Mm-hmm. And so this can give people advice to what would be a good period of time to lock their interest rate in before they get worse or potentially waiting and getting a little bit better interest rate. And sometimes that difference of an eighth or a quarter percent over a long period of time can be 
significant. Uh, additionally, it can also give you a longer term view as to uh, the period of time that we're in right now, for example, where interest rates are a bit elevated. Yep. And somebody might be saying, maybe I shouldn't be purchasing a home with rates elevated. Well, if you understand the fundamentals about the housing market, and you also understand what's driving interest rates to be higher, there's a good chance that interest rates will, will head lower uh, later this year. If that occurs, then buying today with a higher interest rate is actually a good decision because there's less demand based upon interest rates being higher. Interesting. Now, the demand that's out there is still overwhelming the supply, so real estate values are still going up. But inventory is so tight in real estate. Could you imagine if you waited for rates to come down, what that would do to demand? It would crank it up significantly, which means slimmer choices, but also you have to pay a premium. We're already seeing 35% of homes bid over asking price. Yeah, and that doesn't seem like that's slowing down either. It isn't. It isn't. Real estate values will continue higher. Mm -hmm. So how, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the... uh like the Fed making their decisions to raise interest rates. I think you guys talk about it and follow that pretty closely as well. But the Fed funds rate is different than the mortgage rate, right? But they, they still are correlated. Is that correct? To some degree, they're correlated. But the Fed funds rate, which currently is between five and a quarter and five and a half, it's a target range, um, mm -hmm. has, has risen by about 5%. So rather right. dramatic rise in the Fed funds rate. Now, the Fed likely is going to go overboard and probably cause too much of a slowdown because there are lags. There's lags in the data that they're looking at, which means yep. they're typically looking at not where things are headed or even where things are, but where things were. And they're making decisions based upon that. Notice decisions to increase interest rates have an effect that takes time to fully materialize. So by hiking interest rates, as, as, as they did most recently, the effect of that hike won't really be felt until three, four, five, six months down the road. And right. that's where it gets to be dangerous. That's why the Fed has boom and bust cycles. I mean, Dan, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually take it almost a step backwards just to fully explain it for, for the listeners, right, Kyle? So yeah, please you know, do. When we take a look at the economy, you know, obviously we had the COVID situation and you know the Fed, they wanted to stimulate the economy, right? So mm -hmm. the Fed did all kinds of quantitative easing. And that means buying trillions of dollars of mortgage bonds and treasuries. They kept the Fed funds rate near zero for a long time. And they really tried to artificially keep rates low to promote expansion in the economy. And at the same time, you had fiscal stimulus, right? You had $5.2 trillion in stimmies that went out. So, you know, the definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Well, add to all the stimulus and the easy money, and, and, you know, expansion, also the supply chains that were crippled for a period of time. Yep. No wonder why we got 40 plus year high inflation. So when we talk about the Fed hiking rates, you're correct in that they're not hiking mortgage rates, which is a long term rate theoretically in place for 30 years. They're hiking the federal funds rate, which is an overnight rate that banks use to lend to one another. Now, while right. it doesn't directly impact mortgage rates, let's think about what the Fed's trying to do here. The Fed's trying to curb inflation. How? by slowing things down, by making certain types of borrowing more expensive. So if you slow down demand, you can slow down inflation. They can't really do anything about the supply side, right? So they're right. literally trying to destroy the demand side of the economy. So what is impacted when the Fed hikes that Fed funds rate? Well, direct impact, your short-term treasuries, your car mm -hmm. loans, your credit card, 
uh, you know, rates, you know, now they're 22 to 24%, you know, car rates have doubled, right? Home equity rates are now around 9%. So all these things are more expensive. So that can either deter the purchase altogether, or if somebody does purchase these things or they're servicing debt, it's much more expensive. They have less disposable income on other things. And the reason they're doing this is just to curb inflation. Now, counterintuitively, and we've seen this happen many times in history, you can see the Fed hiking rates. And if they're successful in curbing inflation, even while the Fed's hiking, you can see mortgage rates coming down because one of the main influences of long duration rates like mortgage rates is inflation. Now, Uh right now is a little bit of a different, unique time because while we've seen the Fed hike and while we've seen inflation go on the headline CPI from a little over 9% down to 3% and the core's made progress as well, which strips out food and energy, mortgage rates have been remaining stubbornly high. But listen, that's because there's other influences out there at work as well. And Gary, you could explain some of the stuff we've seen in banking and such. I feel like the uh, the housing industry never really recovered from the COVID slowdown. And then when lumber just got really ridiculously expensive, like it's almost like they're still trying to catch up from basically that lost year of production. You know, that certainly was, was part of one of the reasons why. But e- even on an annual basis, like right now, if you take a look at how many homes are being built, that's where you get your supply from. Builders are scheduled to build between 1.4 and 1.5 million homes. But the amount of households that are being formed is much greater than that. You're forming about 2 million households a year. So, I mean, just think about this. These people got to live somewhere, right? So where where, uh-huh. where where are they going to live? Um, that's why you're seeing inventory being depleted. There's about a million homes in inventory right now. And people who worry about a housing bubble, you know, when they think about 2007, well, there were 4 million homes in inventory. But Back in 2007, the population in the United States was 301 million people. Today, it's 335 million people. So if you think about it, you've got 34 million more people in our population, but 3 million fewer homes in inventory. Right. So these reasons are why you're going to continue to see upside pressure on real estate prices. And it's, you know, real estate has to be looked at two different ways. One is, is real estate the driver of economic activity. Well, there's a slowdown there. There's less transactions because of less inventory, but don't mistake Mm -hmm. that with real estate, the investment. That's how most of us want to look at. I'm going to be buying a home. Is this wise investment? Am I going to lose my money? Am I going to make money? And real estate, the investment is doing very, very well and will continue to do well. Do you think at some point that is going to correct? I mean, because like what I've been seeing in some of the major cities like Phoenix, for example, and, um, Let's see, Colorado, uh, but like the the rental prices have gotten like ridiculously out of control. Like I've got a rental in uh, uh, Mississippi that's uh, almost doubled uh, the what I charged from you know three years ago. It's, yes, it's insane. Well, you are correct. You're absolutely correct. And and rental costs have gone up rather significantly over the past three years, although they have slowed down on a year over year basis overall. Whether it be the blending between new rents, the first time you're renting, or a renewal rent, that rate currently is at 3.4% year over year for rent. So that's come down quite a bit to where new rents were going up at 18% and blended rents were going up at 15%. So we've seen a, a much needed softening there. There are some new units coming to marketplace, but still um, there's an overall shortage and that's why you're continuing to see upside pressure. Now, when you talked about different markets around the country for real estate values, Yes, there are specific, you know, we're giving you national numbers, but there were markets, you know, Austin, Texas, as you mentioned, 
Phoenix, mm-hmm. Denver, San Diego, Seattle, San Francisco. Uh, there, there are certain markets around the country which did get overheated. And in the second half of 2022, those markets came down disproportionately more than some of the rest of the U.S. So just to be clear, in 2022, overall values went up. They mm-hmm. went up exceptionally high in the first half. And then in the second half, they gave back some of those gains. They finished 2022 overall higher. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2023, we are seeing a resurgence and values are going back up. We're seeing that across the country, even in those areas that did have disproportionate uh, give back, they're already starting to see values increase. And in fact, there's five very popular measurements of appreciation around the country. And I'll let Dan give those to you and tell you where we stand on all those. Yeah, well, if you look at FHFA, CoreLogic, Black Knight, and Zillow, four of the Mm -hmm. five, they're all reporting that we've reached new all-time highs in home prices, meaning even eclipsing the peak that we saw last year before home prices came down a little less than 3%. Some reports showing even even smaller of a decline than that. So four to the five reports showing all-time highs again in home prices. And Case Shiller is the one that's not yet. That's going to be coming here in the next you know probably two months or so. Okay. And if you look at like the first six months of the year, if you look at the gains that we've seen so far, and you were to say, what pace is that for the full year of 2023? It's anywhere between 5 and 10% appreciation. So, Jesus. you know, housing market has been, you know, obviously very tight inventory. The media will tell you that, you know, we're, we're headed for a housing bubble. But they've been saying that for the last 10 years. And boy, feel sorry for anybody that listened to them because you missed one of the best <laughs> right? wealth creation opportunities in history. But demand, if the home is priced right, even though rates are high, is very strong compared to the number of homes for sale. And Mm -hmm. if you just take a look at some metrics, average days on market is only 18. 76% of homes sold in less than 30 days last month. Average bids per home is 3.5 bids. And 35% of homes are now selling above the asking price. So all those metrics tell you that the home's priced right. You know, you are seeing really strong demand. And Barry talked about how Listen, there's more formations than completions. Um, This is all supportive of home prices continuing to go up. And, you know, he made the point earlier that a lot of people out there, they might want to wait to buy a home because rates are high. But if you think about it and you just do a little bit of math, you know, if you wait six months, right, let's say rates come down by 1%, the amount you'd miss in appreciation would dwarf the interest savings of a 1% lower rate. And then, of course, they can always refinance when rates do come down. Right. So use this higher rate environment and less competition almost as your friend and reap the benefits of appreciation and refinance when rates do come down. You're making me feel a lot better about the house we just purchased in uh, January. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you think construction will catch up with home demand then? That's a, that's a good question. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening in the very near term. You know, the... The problem is, is that the costs to construct homes where they're needed makes it less profitable. So builders have less of an incentive to do that. Is that because of materials or because of the actual uh, like uh, wage costs? It's across the board. It's materials, it's wages. You're right on both, but add to that all the soft costs involved and regulation to get things done. So it, it's it's not easy to do so. Mm-hmm. And you know, government is usually not jumping at the bit to try to help builders by subsidizing lower cost construction. 
So you're not getting you're not getting the government having an incentive to do that, but that's really what's needed. Unfortunately, what the government tends to look at is they don't look at it in in a in a way that would help the problem but exacerbate the problem. So what the government says is, okay, what we'll do is we'll help first-time home buyers. Now that is a noble cause in order to give them additional dollars. The problem with that is that actually exacerbates the problem because you don't have a demand problem, you have a supply problem. Right. And by creating more demand, all you will do is drive prices higher. We had this experiment back in 2009 and 2010 where what the government, well, under the Obama administration, you had a a tax credit that people received to purchase a home and people Mm -hmm. rushed to buy a home. And all that did was bring demand forward, drove prices temporarily higher so people paid more. When the tax credit in April of 2010 expired, what you had left was a big void because now all the demand was gone. And with the lack of demand, prices declined significantly. And people who purchased a home at you know, with that tax credit at a higher price because they had to pony up for it, wound mm-hmm. up seeing them get upside down in home values because the values had dropped beneath what they had paid for it. So good intentions, but not well planned and not well thought out. And it's sad to see that all the talk is along the same exact incorrect thinking, in my humble opinion, and not placed where it should be, which is to create more supply. So that goes back mm-hmm. to answering your question, saying, when do you think this will kind of even itself out? It's I don't see that happening in the very near term. Yeah, and we've been undersupplied for for a long time too, Kyle. So um, right, you know, right, it's not an issue that can be fixed overnight. You know, we, I mean, part of the reason why we've seen such good, you know, home price growth over the last many years is is that undersupply of homes that we've had during the COVID shutdown. There was a lot of people leaving the cities. Like it seemed like that was kind of what kicked it off was people abandoning the cities for like going out to live in more rural neighborhoods. Um, like, is that a trend that's still continuing, or is that uh, reversed or, or subsided at this point by now? It's subsided, but you still have work from anywhere representing a good portion of the population where that's really taken a toll on is, is on commercial real estate and, okay. you know, commercial real estate because, you know, less demand for office space. And then thanks to the fed hiking rates dramatically, it's a double whammy. So imagine you're a landlord with office space in the commercial arena. Well, People are saying, I don't need as much space or I don't need the demand. So as leases expire and roll over over time, less uh, less desire for those leases to be renewed. But then by the same token, you don't have fixed rates on the loan that you have if you're the landlord. So if you're the landlord, I'm getting less revenue because there's less demand. But it's my costs are going up dramatically because if my, my loan was good for a year or two years or three years, when that loan comes up to renew, then... I'm paying significantly higher, probably double what I was making in payments before in my bank loan because the Fed's raised mm-hmm. rates so much and those loans are tied to what the Fed does. So it's a it's a difficult situation for commercial real estate. And remember, values on commercial real estate are are kind of penciled out in a way that is based upon cash flow versus expense. So you're looking at commercial real estate values potentially losing quite a bit of value. Wow, I did not realize that commercial real estate was handled that much differently. I didn't think totally didn't different. Think anybody animal, in yeah. the U.S. has variable rate loans unless they're just getting bad advice. <laughs> yeah, can only get those fixed rates on residential, and oh, only in the United okay. States. Really, there's very few. I know Canada doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Joel. It's because we have figured out the mortgage-backed security market, which you don't have elsewhere. Ah, okay, that makes sense. 
uh, you mentioned something that I kind of want to go back to when you talked about um, the Fed, what the Fed is trying to accomplish when they're raising rates. And I saw an interesting article, um, maybe it was about a week or two ago, and it was basically saying that most companies, like the reason why the NASDAQ is still doing extremely well in this high rate environment has to do with the fact that almost all these companies restructured all of their debt when the mortgage rate or with interest rates were super low. Like, I think it was something like ridiculous, like only 6% of corporate debt right now is under the higher uh, uh, rates that, that have been created. Yeah, but that, but, but those aren't, those aren't fixed rates and they will roll over to higher rates. Now, the, the okay. reason why the NASDAQ or the stock market in general is doing it's well, the AI bubble. You, you know, you do have a lot of, of excitement over AI. And if you take a look at where most of the gains have come from, it's seven or eight companies, literally. Uh, so those seven or eight yeah. companies are driving most of the activity. Now it's broadened out a little bit. Yeah, there was a big rebalancing not too long ago. There was rebalancing, correct? But much much of that is due to multiple expansion. You know, when you look at earnings, earnings are they, they play a game on what the expectation is. So they set a low bar and they beat that. Right. But if you look on a year over year basis, earnings are not growing. In many cases, they're declining, and at the same time. While the stock price is going up, all that's happening is it's multiple expansion. Uh, I am fearful that there's something in the not too distant future that might cause um, value values on in the stock market to, um, to to turn south in a meaningful way. Yeah, you're not alone there. Well, you know, Kyle, one of the one of the things out there that I think the markets are really divided on is. Hey, are we headed for a recession or not? Right, because there's a lot of mixed yeah, signals. Yeah. You know, it's very much like a, a bifurcated economy. You know, it seems like you have some sectors like manufacturing that's been in a recession, right? And obviously, housing activity, um, not prices. Mm-hmm. But then you have other sectors that are doing pretty well. And you know, there's some reports that are showing a lot of weakness in labor. But then you have the ADP report that came out yesterday, and boy, three hundred twenty-four thousand <laughs> following four hundred fifty-five thousand, and then. You know, at the time of this all recording, tomorrow's the big BLS jobs report where they're expecting 200,000 jobs. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of different thoughts on soft landing versus hard landing. Uh, but I can tell you that, you know, a silver lining in the mortgage and real estate space, if we were to see a recession, is that that always means the economy slows, inflation comes down and mortgage rates decline. Yeah, it's almost like the Fed wants to trigger a recession or. Yeah, they won't outright say it. They won't outright say it, but that would certainly help them get closer to their 2% inflation target. It's interesting when you mentioned, though, that the, the earnings for the stock market as a whole have been declining. Like, even with the backdrop of inflation, you would think that that would cause, like, is that, are you stripping inflation out of that or is that no. with? No, no. If you look at their earnings, right? So, so Barry mentioned it's kind of like a game, yeah. right? So, the, the, if you look at the headlines, it'll say, X amount of companies beat their estimates and, and, and you know, they beat on the top and bottom line. Right. However, if you were to compare it to what the numbers were previously, there's a decline in most of these companies in the actual numbers, but they're beating the low bar that was set. So, you know, if you read people like David Rosenberg, I mean, he talks about how we've seen, you know, the last three quarters, like an earnings recession where you're actually seeing the values go down, but you know, 70% or 80% are beating those low estimates. Right. So it's an upside beat, but they're actually going down. Yeah, yeah. It's important to keep an eye on the big picture. You guys mentioned that both of you guys were out of town, uh, out of the state even. Barry, I think you were in Bermuda, and Dan, you were in Italy. I'm curious what the economic situation looks like on the places that you went out and visited. Does it? What, what do the conditions look like? Yeah, I mean, listen, 
there's been a lot of people, you know, from the U S uh, traveling internationally, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's been uh, a lot of people going to Europe and stuff. I mean, when I, I was in different parts of Italy, I was in Tuscany, I was in, um, you know, the Italian Riviera Portofino area. I went to the South of France to Cannes, and then I went to Lake Como and all of those areas were booming with tourism. I could tell you that, wow. um, you know, we ate good too. So yeah. that's important. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but it was a wonderful, uh, a wonderful trip, but yeah, they were, they were busy. I mean, you know, each, you know, some of those countries uh, obviously have, have weaker and worse economies uh, than we do here in the U S but from a tourism perspective, it was, uh, it was still banging. Was strong. What about Bermuda? Well, I, w I was just recently in Bermuda. It's a place I've uh, been to many, many times over, over the years, many years. And uh, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And be because I'm on the East Coast, I go back and forth between Florida and New Jersey. It it's it's an easy trip too, which is kind of nice. So you can get a short getaway in from New Jersey. It's an hour and 45 minute flight. It's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So it's, it's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous spot. And I was shocked this time to see the changes there. And it's so funny because everybody seems like they're scripted that they're not allowed to say it. But you know, some big <laughs> hotels closed, restaurants closed, shops closed. And it's like, whoa, what is going on here? And it wasn't until I had a cab driver who was finally honest. They said, yeah, everybody's not supposed to say that. But um, they have seen a drop in tourism. And it's because you know, Bermuda is great for many things. Some of the best beaches in the world, great weather. Mm -hmm. It's a short season, though. And they don't have that nightlife. Like they've resisted putting in casinos and gambling and light nightlife. And because of that, they aren't seeing people go there as a destination as much, and their tourism is suffering. So their economy is really struggling. And like most of the world, they're also struggling with debt, something we have here mm -hmm. in the United States. You know, just Fitch just downgraded our credit because excessive debt. Um, this is a problem that's global. And, and I think that it has a, uh, it's going to continue to have a long-term detrimental effect. Yes, <laughs> well said. Uh, Barry, I know you've got to run, so I'm just going to hit you with one last question um, regarding the the CMA and some of the stuff that you guys offer. Like, you actually teach people how to learn technical analysis through your your website at MBS Highway. Like, what kind of services do you guys offer there? Like, how does that work? So, MBS Highway is for mortgage professionals, for real estate agents who want to understand uh, real estate conditions all over the country, which direction rates are going, and it also provides lots of robust marketing material and education do a video every day, but we have a specific certification, which is called a certified mortgage advisor. You could be a real estate agent and get it too. But what it really explains and teaches is in depth, how to do technical analysis, how to understand the economy, economic reports, understanding the fed, what drives markets. There are so many things that are really critical for people to know and understand even for their own personal wealth creation, but very essential. If you're in any type of financial endeavor, whether it be um, I'm a financial advisor, I'm a stockbroker, I'm a realtor, I'm a mortgage professional, I'm an accountant. People should understand these. I'm an insurance. Anything that's financially related, it's shocking if you ask people what drives interest rates, uh, what role the Fed plays. Any of the things that we talked about today, they're mm -hmm. typically not things that people know, but they should know. You know, we in our school system, you know, uh, the things we teach, I'm not even going to get into some of the things yeah. that we're teaching right now, which are, in my humble opinion, disturbing. But <laughs> what, um, what what's really insane as well is we will spend hours and hours and years of curriculum to teach kids cursive writing in script, which we never use, right? We don't yeah. use that. But yet 
no time taught on understanding the financial markets. And that is just a disservice to our children. Or budgeting or, or anything. Credit. anything. Yeah. How many people get a first credit card out of high school and then end up immediately drowning in debt? Yeah. These are, these are things that should be taught. But unfortunately, whatever the whatever's going through the minds of those creating curriculum today, it is... I'm ashamed of of where where the, how this has deteriorated. Yeah, uh, but you get. I mean, you're doing your small part, right? Educate people as much as you can. Uh, it sounds like you've educated a uh, pretty large family, so <laughs> uh, I'm guessing you're pretty good at what you do. Well, thank you. We 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 try. It's uh, it's it's uh, just trying to move forward every day. Uh, well, that website is highway.ai or the podcast on the highway. If you need uh, more Barry in your life. Barry does have to run, but don't be sad. Uh, those links will all be in the episode description. We will be back soon with another exciting episode. But until then, slam that five-star rating like it's the gas pedal and you're Sammy Hagard cruising the MBS highway. And take care. Ever dreamed of launching your own podcast? Get ready to turn that dream into reality with the Navigating Podcasting Masterclass from China Shop Productions. At China Shop Productions, we're more than just podcasting coaches. We're your partners in podcast success. Our instructors will guide you through every step of the podcasting journey from concept to publication. Learn the art of storytelling, master the technical aspects of audio recording, and unlock the secrets of captivating content creation. Whether you're a beginner or looking to fine-tune your skills, our courses are tailored to your needs. But that's not all. We also offer top-tier audio editing and production services. Our skilled team will polish your episodes, ensuring your message is clear, engaging, and professional. For more information on any of our classes or services, you can check out our website at chinashopproductions.com or email us at chinashopproductions at gmail.com. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.